Welcome to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Today, what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about love. We're going to be talking about love because love is medicine for the soul. And we're going to look at a few things. The thing that I want to put out there first is that a love deficiency breeds fear. A love deficiency breeds fear. So when we look at today's society, and I said about hyper-anxiety, and I talked about rest being such a key ingredient for young people and for ourselves, actually one of the key, key things that each one of us needs so desperately in our lives is love, is love. I want to give you a few examples of a few people in the Bible, absolute legends and heroes of the faith, but where they had a moment where love didn't make their decision, but fear dictated it. One of the things you're going to find about fear is that fear will speak very loudly and it will speak with an urgency. It will come time specific and time pressured. So it will kind of be like, uh, let's look at this one. So King David made a terrible decision. At the time of year when kings went out to war, he stayed at home. He was out looking off the palace roof. He sees this lovely lady who was bathing in the street because all the men were at war. And he sees her and then he takes her to be his wife. He lays with her and this terrible situation unfolds. She becomes pregnant. He realizes, and, and it's not just a case where David's seen a random, a random woman. He hasn't seen a random woman. He knows her. Her father's the wisest man in the nation. He knows her husband because he's one of his mighty men that has risked his life for David time and time again. So he already knew this. He already knew of her. And we don't know whether she was able to say yes or no or be consensual because he's the king. You can't really say no to the king. So it's all a big mess. So what David does is he calls for her husband to come from the battlefield, gets him absolutely smashed, plies him with cocktails, plies him with like shots, 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 then goes, hey, go home to your wife. And then when David wakes up in the morning, he thinks problem solved, but he looks outside, the guy is still there. He does it again, three nights in a row, and the guy is still camping outside his house going, How can I go home, be with my wife when all my boys are out risking their lives on the battlefield? And so what David does is David writes a letter to the general and says, Dear General Joab, please send Uriah to the fiercest part of the battle. Pull back the men from around him so that he basically dies. Then he gives this death warrant to Uriah to take to General Joab. His own death warrant. He takes and carries it and gives to the general. And the general reports back to David, Hey, you know what? The men pulled back, but actually a lot of the mighty men your close friends died with him because they wouldn't leave him to just die on his own. And so when we look at that story, David's killing of Uriah is a fear one. I'm going to be found out. She's pregnant. He's at war. People will know I'm the only only guy in the village. So it's straight at his door. Fear drives a decision where he actually has one of his closest friends killed. The children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt and when they got set free and delivered, the story doesn't just end with them being free and then they're straight into promised land. They're traveling, following the promises of God. But the thing we find is that when they send spies into the land, two spies come back saying, God's going to give us this. The place is amazing. The grapes are absolutely amazing. The honey flowing in this land. It is such a good, good place. We're going to have an amazing time. But the rest of them go, you know what? The guys in this nation are dench. The guys in this, in this nation are looking at the children of Israel and they are saying, do you even lift, bro? Like, if we go in there, we're going to get smacked the heck up. And what happens is the children of Israel go, 
well, I don't want to go fight, fight a load of giants. Screw that. It cost them like 40 years. They end up going round this wilderness waiting for a generation who would make a decision based on fear to die out. So a new generation who would make decisions in faith, trusting, knowing that God loves them enough that he brings them out of slavery. If he loves them enough to bring them out of slavery, then surely he loves them enough to see them into this land, to see them into the promises he has for you. So often you and I make decisions based upon an idea that actually, you know what, the question you're asking is, does God really love me? Does he really love me? That in this situation that matters to me, is he going to see me through? Is he going to be with me in this? Or am I on my ones? That's the question that most of us end up asking. Pharaoh, an ungodly man, looked to the children of Israel and he said, they are many in number. If our enemies attack us, they will side with them and they will overpower us. And because of that fear and the they that crept into his heart, he was prepared to commit genocide and wiped out, tried to wipe out an entire ethnicity. He had all the baby girls being allowed to be born, but all the boys were being thrown into the Nile. Gideon was hiding inside a wine press celebrating a handful of grain because the Midianites were coming and stealing everything and, and killing everyone and smashing everyone up. And he, he didn't believe God that God could deal with the Midianites. He didn't believe that God was going to come through. He didn't believe that God was going to do these things. So he's celebrating over a small little pile of grain in a wine press. The good thing about Gideon is that God said, you are a mighty man of valor. He sent an angel to speak to Gideon. He called him and he said that he was going to use him, that he was going to deliver the nation. He was going to deliver his people. And Gideon stopped making decisions based on fear, celebrating the small amount, but believing God for more than he ever dreamed possible. Gideon was used by God to take just 300 men and defeat armies in their thousands. I often wonder sometimes about myself and I look in the mirror and I think to myself, how many decisions am I going to keep on making based on fear rather than faith? How many decisions am I going to make where I allow the fear and the panic in my heart and the anxiety to make the decision rather than God, rather than love? Fear makes you feel like you have to act in haste. Love doesn't. I want to read you from 1 John um, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he hasn't seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother the opposite of love is apathy and indifference it's, it's not it's not really hatred and i think apathy and indifference is a dangerous place i often found within church circles that one of the things that was really respected was actually kind of like a weird cynicism or a weird kind of apathy that crept in that was really respected it was such a strange bizarre thing but people would say like if you were really 
enthused about something, they'd always want you to be balanced. They'd always want, want you to be balanced. They always want you to be beige. They always want you to be manila. If you told them I'm believing God for this, if you're going for this, whatever, they'd be all, oh, all oh, steady, steady. And, and people would be like, oh, I'm, and they'd say they have concerns. But, but love, love is excited about things. Love is all in. Love isn't holding out a little bit, being careful about it. Love is risky. Everyone who's ever tried to give someone a Valentine's invitation knows that love is risky. One minute you're on top of the world, the next minute, oh my days, they actually don't like me. In your head, it was a no-brainer. Of course they were going to say yes. In the real world, they were never going to say yes. Love's risky business. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. Well, that, that, that begs the question. See, for me, if perfect love casts out fear, then I feel like there's a prescription that you and I need to take seriously. I believe we need to take it twice a day. I believe we need to take it twice a day. I want to read to you something um, from Luke's Gospel. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he charged him to tell no one. Go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad and the great crowds gathered to hear him to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The first thing I want to pick on is I want to pick up on the love of Jesus. I want to pick up on a love that goes beyond. I want to pick up upon a love that touches those it shouldn't touch. Because that's what this story is about. Within the rule of Moses, if you touched a leper, you became unclean with the leper. Jesus, when the leper asked the question that you and I ask, which is basically, do you love me? That's what this is about, do you love me? It's a question about the will of God. Do I believe God can heal me? Of course I believe God can heal me. The question is, will he heal me? And ultimately, the question isn't just, will he heal me? It's, does God really love me? Is John 3.16 really true? God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whom should ever believe in him should have everlasting life. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. You and I, so often the question is, we're perishing in a situation, in a circumstance, and our question is, does he really love us? This leper's question is, if you will, I can be clean. And Jesus said, I will be clean. But it says he touched him. It's the most important thing in this passage. Because I tell you what, if this man ever had any doubts, even from the words of Jesus saying, I will and be clean, the moment Jesus touched him, he realized that the words of Jesus have made him whole because otherwise Jesus is becoming contaminated and Jesus has become unclean. And then how does he who knew no sin become sin itself on the cross in our place? He doesn't, but Jesus cleanses the leper, but he shows him so much that he is clean, that he is whole because he reaches out and he touches him. The thing is that I believe today for Valentine's is whether you're experiencing anxiety, mental health, whether you're experiencing sickness or whether you're experiencing depression and despair, whether life hasn't panned out the way you wanted it to or whether this weekend you gave someone a card and you're heartbroken that they said, nah, you're all right. I honestly believe that this weekend that God wants to meet with us in a way where regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you are, regardless of what's gone on in your past, 
regardless of what's in your head, regardless of what anxiety or fear you feel, he reassures to the point that he touches those who shouldn't be touched. I shouldn't be touched by God, but I'm touched by God. I shouldn't be forgiven, but I'm forgiven. I shouldn't receive grace on top of grace, but I receive grace on top of grace. I'm not deserving of grace. That's the whole point of grace. He gives us these good, wonderful gifts. I want you to know this morning that he loves you and he loved you to the point of death, even death on a cross. I want you to know this morning that actually there's something that we need to do that he said here that he reached out and he assures this person. I believe that God is calling some of us this week to reach out and touch people that no one else would want to touch. To reach out and love people no one else would want to love. To reach out and play Power Rangers with kids that no one else is playing Power Rangers with kids. There's small things you and I can do this week that can reach out and connect with someone who's disconnected from everyone else. There are small things we can do. But the great thing here is it says in verse 16, and this is Jesus Christ. This is God become flesh and blood, but he would withdraw to the desolate places and pray. We talked a few weeks ago about Psalm 2 where you see we always quote uh, in the New Testament where it says the prayers of a righteous man availeth much if you read the King James. I just love availeth. It just sounds like a bailiff but availeth. So if you're righteous your prayers do a lot. But then in the Psalms it says that, that, that a desolate it talks about a desolate the, the prayers of the desolate he turns to and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago that that Hebrew word is about a bush, a desolate bush. It's wordplay by the artist because the word desolate and the word for bush has the tiniest little dot different in the Hebrew. So people would have heard that and they'd have been like, this guy, his mixtape is on fire. This guy is rapping. This guy is amazing. And he does this wordplay. And the idea is this, that in, in their culture, Moses turns to see the bush. He turns aside to see a bush on fire. The bush is the children of Israel. They're on fire. The bush isn't being consumed. They're in slavery, suffering and dying, but the bush won't go out. It won't be consumed. And it's the same with you. You may be in a situation where you feel like your life is on fire right now, but it won't be consumed. It won't be consumed. And the good thing about the story is that the Bible says in the Psalms that the prayer of the desolate he turns to. So the psalmist is saying on the one hand, this bush was catching the eye. What the heck? This isn't being consumed. It, Moses turns to it. But when you and I pray from the desolate places in our lives, God turns to us. Jesus goes to the desolate place to pray. He goes to meet in a place with God where God turns to him. I want to encourage you this week that maybe if you're feeling anxiety, maybe if you're feeling sickness, maybe if you're feeling pains of life that are just beating and grinding you down in situations you see no hope to, I want to encourage you to withdraw to the desolate places and pray. Because as you turn to God, he's going to turn to you. And here's the thing, I know he loves you. But you've got to start believing he loves you for yourself. You've got to start believing he loves you for yourself. And here's the hang up. You see, the kicker is that some of us the, the, at the moment, we're so much like the, the leper. We've got questions about will he? And our question is about does he? Does he really love me? You see, when you turn aside in the desolate place and you come to him going, if you will, you'll, you'll cleanse me. Jesus will reach out and he'll touch you. It doesn't matter what your stigma, what your place is. He will reach out and he'll touch you. I'm going to pray for us today and then that'll be it. Lord God, I thank you for these passages. I thank you for the fact, Lord, that we talk about Valentine's and we talk about love. But you know what? There's a perfect love that casts out all fear. I thank you for your perfect love. I thank you that you have a perfect love for us that reaches into the pain and the heartache within our lives. Father, I thank you that there isn't a person here, no matter what the stigma, what the situation, or what's holding us back, or what's causing our anxiety, or what's causing the pain, there isn't a single person here that you don't will to be clean, that you don't reach out to touch. And I just pray, Lord God, that this week would be a week where we start to encounter your love. It's one thing to have rest, and rest is good 
for the soul and it positions us in such a good place. But the Apostle Paul in Corinthians says, if I have not love, I am nothing. Lord, John tells us that God is love. You are love. And we want to have you this week. I pray, Lord God, that we would learn to create space in our lives to turn to you in the desolate places. That we will seclude ourselves to meet and engage with you. Because actually, that's how Jesus is able to reach out to this leper. Because in the next story, he heals another man. He goes to this secluded place, the desert place, for you to turn to him that he might go and give what he has. I pray we would receive something sacred from you, your love, Lord, this week, that we may be able to give it to those around us in Jesus' name. Amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. We are the light, we are the